Shalom, Chevre. Welcome to this week's episode, the week of Elul, 10 to 16, with Shabbat falling, of course, on the 16th. And this is the week of Kitavo, just three full weeks from the beginning of this week, or two more Shabbats away from, any guesses? I'm sure you know by now, Rosh Hashanah. So this week, like I said, we will be reading Parashat Kitavo. And welcome to this week's episode of Footsteps of the Messiah. I'm your host, Kevin. So, this parasha is 122 pesukim or verses, going from Devarim 26 verse 1 to chapter 29 verse 8. Not a terribly long parasha. It means when you come, and opens with a description of the Bikurim ceremony and the declaration of the conclusion of tithing. So it ends with all of the blessings that are given by the Almighty for obeying His Torah and the consequential curses that are given for disobedience. So, it ends with all of the blessings that are given by the Almighty for obeying His Torah and the consequential curses that are given for disobedience. Here's a summary, briefly. So, Moshe tells Am Yisrael that when entering the land that Hashem is giving them, uh, it is an eternal inheritance that they are to build up society and live in homes that they construct and bring Bikurim from their fruits that they harvest and they are to bring them to the temple. This allows them to bring something to God as a token of gratitude for all he has done for us. Now the mitzvot of tithes given to the Leviim and also to the less fortunate and those who have fallen on hard times is in it of itself uh, a mitzvah and provides for the poor. So there are instructions on the blessings and curses on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And I try to remember that blessing is a longer word than the word curse, and that Gazim is longer than the word Ebal. So that's how I remember which mountain was for which declaration. Or you can just read the parasha. So this is a repeat of what we heard in the beginning of parasha Re'eh, and Moshe takes the opportunity here to remind Amisaya that they are chosen for Hashem, and they are to be his unique and chosen people. And this was also their choice, that they themselves chose the Almighty. Now we are introduced here, or maybe yet again, we are brought back to the concept of tochecha, rebuke or admonition in English. And a few weeks ago in the parasha, possibly in Devarim, there was the discussion. I may not have brought it up, but as Moshe begins to rebuke the Israeli children of the last fallen generation, the idea is brought up in commentaries I was reading. That tochecha, or rebuke, is often not received at all, or certainly not well received, and because people are not often rebuked. They don't know how to take it. They don't get practice. And people tend not to be very good at giving tochecha. It, it creates this crazy cycle where there's a chicken and an egg thing going on. And how are people going to get better at receiving it if no one is trying to give it? And how are people going to get better at giving rebukes if no one is willing to practice receiving it? So after listing the brachot, there are the rewards for following the Torah. Moshe spells out for Amisayev all of the punishments they will receive, even all the way down to Galut, exile. If they betray their covenant with the Almighty, Moshe uses a very familiar phrase to readers of the Gospels and tells the people that they have finally attained a heart to know, eyes to see, and ears to hear. Now, to name a couple, we hear Yeshua say this phrase, at least in part, and first, let's go to Matthew eleven fifteen. So Matthew 11, verse 15, is one of the places we hear Yeshua 
use this phrase about eyes to hear, eyes to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. But it really starts in Matthew 10, or Matthew 11, chapter, Matthew 11, verse 7. And it says, as they were going away, Yeshua began to speak to the multitudes about Yochanan. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. I always wonder, like, in antiquity, like, with our western eyes, we don't really understand those phrases. But in the east, at that time, there was no entertainment. There was, I mean, there wasn't the kind of entertainment we have now, obviously. And there were things that they appreciated. And I believe that this is people going out to just be at peace with nature, going out to uh, do something relaxing. And he's saying, like, what did you come out here for? Just to, like, get lost in nature and have a time of meditation? And did you come to see somebody who was out of the ordinary, somebody in fancy clothes who was wealthy, maybe? And, and those people sometimes, uh, people traveled for their career and they would spread news uh, around the region and that was their main occupation and they earned money for doing so. So not exactly sure who he's talking about, but uh, obviously neither was the case. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be um, a meditation retreat to come see Yeshua and it wasn't supposed to be to come see some sort of wealth or finery uh, some sort of person dressed out of the ordinary um, as uh, any kind of like entertainment or diversion. And verse 9, he says, Why did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one, he's talking about Yochanan, his cousin, John the Immerser. This is the one about whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before the Lord. And there he's quoting uh, Malachi, Malachi. And that is, I believe, chapter 4. But I don't see the footnote here. But anyway, that is from the book of Malachi. And truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there was not there has not arisen anyone greater than Yochanan the Immerser, Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Okay, and I found the note. It is Malachi 3, verse 1. So, uh, verse 12. And from the days of Yochanan the Immerser until now, the kingdom of heaven, Malchut Shemaim, suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. Just looking at the notes here to see if there's anything extra to add to that. Or it is forcibly entered and the and violent men seize it for themselves. Uh, that's another translation. For all the prophets and the Torah prophesied until Yochanan. It's interesting how in this translation it puts the prophets first. And then it says the Torah prophesied until Yochanan. Because the Torah came first. So why wouldn't it say... For all the Torah and the prophets prophesied until Yochanan. I don't know. I have to look at the Greek. I don't know about Greek linguistics. So I don't know anything about Greek linguistics. So that could be 
uh, translational issue or um, but anyway uh, 14 and if you care to accept he himself as Eliyahu who was to come he who has ears to hear let him hear but to what shall I compare this generation is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the others and say we played the flute for you and you did not dance we sang a dirge and you did not mourn for Yochanan came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Now there's another translation of that that says, Wisdom is vindicated, vindicated by her children. And a, and a moment ago he was just saying, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the others. And there's another passage. I don't know where it is off the top of my head. But it says that um, you, if you are to receive the kingdom, you must be as these children. And he has children all around him in that passage. So anyway, back to... Paul, okay, so uh, the Apostle Paul, or Rav Shaul, says something similar, and it sounds like he's quoting Isaiah 64, 4, but this is from 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, but let me read Isaiah 64, 4 first. He says, For from of old they have not heard nor perceived by ear, neither has the eye seen a God besides you, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. And the hymn is the Lord. So that's what it's believed that Paul is quoting here, or Rav Shaul, I should say. Prefer to call him by his Hebrew name. Uh, in case you weren't aware, Paul didn't change his name. He didn't convert to Christianity. And he didn't become Paul and leave behind the evil Jewish name of Paul. There was no such thing as any of what I just said. He was and always will be Jewish. He was born a Roman, as he says in the book of Acts. And he spoke Hebrew and Greek fluently, probably Aramaic too. And he was uh, both Paul and Saul, or Shaul. Saul would be Spanish. Shaul, uh, because Jews had both a Hebrew and a Greek name because of the country and the um, society they were born into. All right, so 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Uh, I'll just read a little bit above and below. Um, it starts, the first of the sentence starts in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now the note from verse 9 says Isaiah 64, 4, and Isaiah 65, 17. So let's see what Isaiah 65, 17 says. 
For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Verse 18, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, rejoicing and her people in gladness, or for gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of a hundred, and the one who does not teach the age do not the one who does not reach the age of one hundred will be thought accursed. And it goes on, and this is uh, this is about the Olam Haba and the Messianic age when um, people have attained a new level of longevity in life. Okay, so moving on to the next part. Uh, so he uses it, Yeshua uses it, this phrase again in Revelation in the second and third chapters, which is interesting because he's declaring blessings and curses to the seven congregations in those chapters. And it matches with what we find in the Torah portion. So let me try to find you an example in Revelation 2. Alright, so chapter 2 is to the congregation of Ephesus. By the way, the word church doesn't exist in the Bible. It came along way after the, the New Testament was written. And it should be, in the Greek, it's ekklesia. Ecclesia, the number in the in the Strong's or the Thayer's Greek lexicon is one five seven seven fifteen seventy seven, and the word ecclesia was translated incorrectly as church, and was a, a part of an interpretation. Uh, but it's also a crowd. It's also an angry mob. So you can't translate it differently based on your beliefs. And that's what the writers, or not the writers, the translators into English of the Gospels and Epistles did. So whenever you see the word church, just say congregation, ecclesia. The word church comes from a Latin or Greek word, circe, which means circle. And it also connects to groups of witches. So uh, church is a very poor choice of words for a congregation of believers. Alright, so, chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles uh, or shlichim and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary but I have this against you that you have left your first love so there's a rebuke, right? And remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. Do the deeds you did at first. Do the mitzvot you did at first. And if you want to look that word up, it's number 2041 in Greek. And it just says first deeds. So do the first deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand, your menorah, out of its place. Unless you repent, yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And it's not Nicolaitans, it's Nicolaitans, by the way, in case you've heard it mispronounced. Which I also hate, that's Yeshua, not me saying that. 
uh, the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Verse 7, he, uh, who, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the congregations. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the pardes Adonai, the paradise of God, which is the Garden of Eden. I added the part of the Garden of Eden, just to clarify. And it's time, well, that is another name for the Torah. Now, there is, in Ganiden, a tree of life, of course. And isn't it interesting that Adam and Chava didn't go eat of the tree of life first? They didn't go eat of any other tree. There might have been hundreds of trees, thousands of trees, nine other trees. We don't know. But it's interesting. Think about this for a life lesson. They went to the first tree. The first tree they went to was the tree, the one tree Hashem told them not to go to. How many times in life do we not go try the things that are permitted by God? We don't try reading the Bible to flee sin and lust. We don't read, we don't read or watch appropriate things. We don't go exercise. We don't go call somebody to pray for them to distract us from a sin that we may want to commit. We don't get up early and say the morning prayers. Or bother to say the evening prayers or the Kriyat Shema Lamita before we go to bed. But yet, we'll immediately choose and gravitate to go to evil things. Alright, so, uh, this is, so we saw last week in Devarim 27 that Moshe told them, This day you have become a people to the Lord your God. Meaning, as Rashi explains, it is today that I understand that you cleave to the omnipresent and desire him. Now, the interesting thing about the Bikurim is that everyone has to bring it in a basket. Now, the, the letter Samech is, does not appear in the whole parasha. And Samech is, the gematria is 60. And what's interesting is the word for basket is not sal, samech lamed. It is a different word. And let me spell that for you. So before I share about the basket, I had read you a paragraph from my outline about Devarim 27. Uh, it kind of popped out of place, but uh, I think it was just the end to my outline of the parasha, like I usually do a review of the parasha, and then go into the haftarah. So anyway, if you're wondering where those two or three sentences came out of, or why they sound like they came out of left field, um, that is why. Okay, so back to the basket about, and this is something I just learned uh, on the on Arab Shabbat uh, when I heard a Devar Torah about this. So the the tena tet nun aleph is the net word they use for basket, and it's very interesting that they don't use the word sal, which is another word for basket, probably more common. But the tene, it, 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 the gematria is tet, which is nine, nun, which is fifty, and aleph, which is one. So it one plus fifty plus nine adds up to sixty which is the gematria of the letter Samech. Samech equals 60, and Samech is the letter that starts the word Sal, 
which means basket. So you see that circle. Now, Samech itself is a circle. And here's what's interesting is the basket is filled with circles, right? So when you weave the basket together, it's got holes in it, circles. And the deeper Kabbalistic meaning is that in life, you have your basket, you have your work, you have your life, work, life, work, life. And we call it work-life balance in modern times. But within the, the, the basket of life, within this work and then personal life and back and forth and going up to Rushalayim, for instance, bringing the first fruits, it's a break from life. It's a whole, it's a window in time to observe and to enjoy and to allow the things of God to overflow through the holes of your life. You're bringing your life to God. You're bringing the fruit of your life to God symbolically and let it overflow and fall out and be shared with others. That's one look at it. The other look as, at it is these holes in time. The holes in the basket are symbolic of the holes in time in our life where we need to be free. We need to let Hashem fill that space. Because we're never going to completely fill our basket ourselves. We're supposed to give him 10%, right? In tithe form. Uh, in, and that was always produce or animals. But symbolically, a De Rambanan commandment in modern times is to give 10% to your congregation. Well... That's what, what Hashem is saying is let your life overflow to others. Let others share of it and let me share of it. And peek through. Let there be holes in your schedule. Let there be windows in time once in a while, especially these appointed times that you can just sit and rest and let there be a vacuum so that I, Hashem, can fill it is what the speaker was saying. Anyway, I just thought it was fascinating and had to stop and share that. It's very deep, actually, but very simple. So now, on to focus this on this year's podcast. Or so, what I meant to say was now on the now we'll, let's move on to the focus of this year's podcast, which is the Haftarah. So, in the Haftarah, we're now in the sixth of a series of seven Haftarot called the Haftarot of Consolation, counting down. And as I say each week, since we uh, passed the ninth of Av. These Haftarot go from Tisha B'Av all the way to Rosh Hashanah, taking us through seven weeks of affirmation and comfort. After the three devastating weeks, we relive each year vicariously through the sages and the scriptures of the three weeks of admonition, uh, where you add those three weeks, right, the three weeks of admonition, to the seven weeks of consolation. Three and seven is what? Ten. So, which initially, among other things, remind us of the ten words, the Asre Divrot, or the Ten Commandments. So, uh, those ten weeks, we're almost to the end because Rosh Hashanah is uh, just uh, two weeks away. And we don't have a special Haftarah anymore uh, a week from Friday. It will be, or two weeks from this Friday. We will have Rosh Hashanah Haftarah, uh, Haftarah specifically Rosh Hashanah. And I'll give you a quiz. You can come back next week and see if you got it right. But there is a special Haftarah for Rosh Hashanah off the top of my head. I don't remember what it is, so I'll have to look it up myself. But uh, anyway, 
Look it up, read it. I encourage reading the Torah, the Torah portion and the Haftarah for Rosh Hashanah before you get there. Be familiar with it so it's not brand new and you're not distracted and miss any of it. But it'll be a second reading once you get there. So, uh, this week begins with a famous verse. Verse 1 of chapter 60 of Isaiah. It is a well-known song and can be hear, heard with at least a couple of different melodies. And I'll read it to you in Hebrew. Kumi uri kiva oech uchvod Adonai alaych zarah. Actually, it's zarach. And it means that arise, shine, for your light has dawned. The presence of the Lord has shone upon you. And if you uh, spell it out in English uh, on YouTube, you can find uh, some really cool versions of it. But it's spelled K-U-M-I. O-R-I. Kumi Ori. Uh, anyway, plenty of versions on YouTube. I don't love the word commandment, but prefer mitzvot. But for some reason, the ten words are never called mitzvot in Hebrew, although they are part of the 613 uh, mitzvot. I meant to say a little while ago uh, when I was talking about the ten words. But nevertheless... Uh, the 613 meets vote. We will return to those in this age that we are hearing described. Return to complete and total observance of the 613 meets vote. Not for salvation, but for building up the kingdom. And they will be the guidelines, the rules of the land. Again, I'm not going to use the word law. I don't, I don't like using the word law or commandment. But meets vote, ordinances... Uh, charges, um, instruction. Not sure where the word commandment came from, but it's become very prevalent in Judaism and Christianity. Um, so, the Lord, or Isaiah, goes over what will take place in the Geulah, the time of the Messianic redemption, and the Techiat Hamitim, the resurrection of the dead, and the return of all those lost to other lands. This is called the Galut in Hebrew, the exiled exiles. Israel will experience joy and great wealth and gifts and will be brought to the Almighty from the Goyim, all of the other countries and peoples from all over the world. Goyim means nations. We see this fulfillment or hope of all this happening and this is predicated, or sorry, predicted to be fulfilled in the end times by the Elenu prayer. Now, Elenu focuses on Israel first. The Elenu prayer is taken from a variety of scripture and the second half, which is rarely sung out loud because it is at the end of the service and for the sake of time gets cut short and it gets rushed through or skipped altogether. And the tune may have even slipped into obscurity. But sadly, it is not sung. The first part of Lenu is the one that's usually the only part that's sung. Now, here's what it's supposed to sound like. And you can find it at least on one version on YouTube. I think it's called My Jewish Learning. I have not looked for other versions, but here is a recording that I would like to share. Okay, this is from a channel called My Jewish Learning on the Elenu. I'm going to sing the Elenu prayer, which traditionally is done at the end of services. The Elenu expresses a hope for universalism and that everyone will come together to worship God as one. 
עלינו לשבח לאדון הכל, לתת גדולה ליוצר בראשית, שלא עשנו כגויי הארצות, ולא שמנו כמשפחות האדמה, שלא שם חלקינו כהם, וגורלינו ככל המונם. At this point, people bend their knees. And at this point, you bend forward at the waist and bow. And at this point, you get up again. Now at this point, people will often do most of the next paragraph silently to themselves. I will do it out loud now to a tune that people sometimes use, and then I'll indicate the point at which people will come and join in together. And this is the point at which people will generally come in together. So at last the people of Israel will be esteemed and looked upon with great reverence and there will be a return to the Garden of Eden conditions. And that's really what the Elenu prayer talks about in the first half. It's about Israel becoming and being and sustaining their position as the directors, the magistrates, the overseers of God's kingdom. And, and not the Jewish nation, not the Jews. It's all of Israel because all 12 tribes will be reestablished and it'll be understood exactly who's from what tribe. So I just wanted to read one last thing and uh, possibly just read, it's not a very long passage. Well, it's not super short, but 
It's the bulk of Isaiah 60, if not the whole chapter. I believe it is the whole chapter. Let me check here. But the Haftarah, I may have forgotten to announce that it is from Isaiah 60, and it's verse 1 all the way through 22. So, uh, because it is the, the full chapter of Isaiah 60, I'll let you read it on its own. Uh, but I wanted, I felt compelled to read a comment to, from the Eitzheim Humash uh, on Isaiah 60, verse 22, the last verse, where it says, Vahatsa'ir legoi atzum, the least become, is a might, will become a mighty nation, or is a mighty nation. And that's um, from the end, actually, verse 22 starts on the page before that. The smallest shall become a clan. Hakaton Gihye La Elif. Elif is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, as you probably know, but it also means a clan. And it also means a thousand, and it also means an ox. So it's very interesting that he says the smallest will become an Aleph. And we talk about this in the first, this year, in the Torah, in the podcast on Vaikra, chapter 1 of Leviticus. Uh, well, the whole parasha we talk about a little bit, but mainly the Aleph in Vaikra is minimized. It's diminished. It's small in a Torah scroll. So it's interesting. It says, the smallest shall become an Aleph. Well, the reverse happened in Leviticus 1. An Aleph became small. So it's very interesting. I just thought of that. So, Hakaton Yela Aleph, the Haitzair, the least or the youngest, Legoi Atsum, will become a, a Goi, a nation that is mighty. And Atsum comes from the same root word, the Shoresh, it's Etzim, which means bone. And Yom Ma'ut is the name for Israeli Independence Day. So it's like the day of that is hard as a bone. It's very colorful when you understand Hebrew. So the last verse, Ani Adonai Ba'ita Achi Shena. I, the Lord, will speed it in due time. And that's a very interesting word. Achi Shena. And I don't have my glasses on, and the vowels are a little small, but I will speed it in due time. So the commentary says this, a paradox to earlier commentators, for if redemption will occur in due time, what does will speed it mean? The Hebrew words of the phrase were, therefore, read as if separated. I, the Lord, will speed it, and if the people have merit, comma, but if they do not have merit, redemption will come. In due time. And that's from the Babylonian Talmud Sanhedrin 98a and Rashi's comments. Now, on the other hand, the word order in the Hebrew text puts in due time, the phrase in due time from this passage, before the phrase, I will speed it. Now, this prompted Radak, another commentator, to explain when redemption comes in due time, God will speed it to a complete conclusion. The two interpretations represent two theological poles concerning redemption. According to the first interpretation, human merit may hasten God's hand. God's hand. According to the second interpretation, redemption is a divine mystery whose time is not influenced 
by human actions. See Genesis Rabbah 65 verse 12. Messianic movements in Jewish history have often swung between these two poles. So it just reminds me of a quote. I believe this is a Talmudic quote from the sages, from the Jewish uh, Chazal, the Chachamim, Zayim Lamed, that it is not our job to finish the work, to bring it to completion, but it is our job to, to begin the work and to continue the work. So maybe I can find that quote and share it in its completeness and complete accuracy next time. But that is all we have for this episode of Footsteps of the Messiah, Parashat Kitavo. And I just want to point out one other thing. It's interesting. If you're still here, then you get a little bit of a bonus. Kitetse from last week means when you go out, la milchama, to war. But this week, Kitavo the, the rest of the Hebrew, I'm going to read it to you real quick, is not about warfare, but rather it is about this. Kitavo vahaya, sorry, let me begin. Uh, paragraph, I'm oh, sorry, Parshat Kitavo, the first verses from Deuteronomy Kafvav, chapter 26. Vahaya Kitavo el ha'aratasha adonai lohecha noten lecha Nachala v'yashavta ba. When you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a heritage, and you possess it and settle in it, so what it's saying is that this is the reward for going to war from last week. When you when you receive it as a heritage, and possess it and settle in it. So, just an interesting dichotomy and kind of opposite end of the spectrum, coming into peace and possession. But we never liked in this this broadcast without sharing with you a scripture about the life and times of Yeshua. And in honor of coming to the end of the cycle of parasha of, of parsh, Parshiot this year, even though we have one more week, I want to read from the last few verses of Revelation. I thought it was interesting. Uh, this chapter is of Isaiah 60 that we read is 22 verses. And the last chapter of Revelation is number 22. And it has 21 verses, which is very close to 22. So from Revelation 22, 17 uh, or 16. I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the congregations. I am the root, the Shoresh, and the Semach. David, the offspring of David, the bright morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Also come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, Adonai shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, Adonai shall take away his part from the tree of life, from the Edzheim, and from the holy city, Yerushalayim, which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. That's Yeshua. Amen. Come, Lord Yeshua. The grace of the Lord Yeshua be with all. Amen. So, ending on that note, there's an interesting connection back to the plagues and the blessings, which I didn't intend, uh, didn't realize was there. But just pick that scripture to conclude on. And we always invite you to make Yeshua the Lord and the 
Messiah of your life, yesterday, today, and forever. Shalom, friends, and Be'ezat Hashem. We will see you here next week. Have a wonderful Shabbat. Have a wonderful week and an edifying and fulfilling time of Shabbos joy and fulfillment this week. And let it carry you into the next. Shalom.